Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. I have the privilege of talking to chief executives and leaders of the most dynamic, fastest growing organizations in the world. And one of those that couldn't be more retail and consumer focused is Giant Stores leader, Nick Bertram. Now, Nick is involved in every part of the community in engaging in people's lives throughout the consumer networks that they serve. One of the biggest retail grocery chains anywhere and connected with a European headquarters, which also has huge influence throughout the Europe markets. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to have a relationship globally among many different retail markets? What do these different market leaders learn from each other? And how do we connect that with ESG, the environment, social and governance changes going on now so that we can not only do well, but we can do good for the world and its people. Listen to this conversation with Nick Bertram. You couldn't imagine perhaps a, a more exciting place to be when there's transformation and change going on than in a business that's touching all of our lives every single day. So Nick, thank you so much for being with us and, and talking about what it means to be a leader at a time in history when there has been so much remarkable change. Could you talk about the size of the organization, the number of people you have, maybe some of the, about the demographics or age range, because I, I'd love to drill down on the fact that you've got very experienced people on the team. You've got people who are very new. You've got people of all ages. How would you characterize your workforce there at Giant? Uh, thanks for having me, Mark. And uh, the Giant Company, it really is an awesome place to be. I, I love working with this team. Um, we've been around since 1923, founded in a, a town called Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, that remains our headquarters, so I'm still in Carlisle today. And uh, we expand uh, to the really to the east, mostly, and to, um, into Maryland, into Virginia, West Virginia. So about 190 stores, uh, 35,000 teammates uh, they are serving. And, you know, the brands that are behind me right now, five brands inside of our company, consumer-facing brands. So... Giant Martins, Giant Heirloom Market, which is a small urban format in Philadelphia, and then Giant Direct and Martins Direct, which are e-commerce platforms for consumer and business to business. Um, it's a cool company. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting workforce to your point. The longest serving teammate, his name is John. He has 50 years of wow. service. So we're only 93 years old. And then the newest teammate probably would, just went through orientation in one of our stores five minutes ago. Uh, so, you know, quite a, quite a diversity of, of time with the organization and a lot of different backgrounds that kind of brought us all here so that we can uh, feed people. That's really the purpose uh, or the actions that we take. When you have a, a workforce that's organized around feeding people, all of them really much immersed into the customer experience at retail, right. at all different types of cycles. It could be weather, it could be pandemics, it could be periods of, of tumultuous change going on. You've got very young people, you've got more experienced people. What's it like managing or how much difference is there as a leader today? Many of the people watching this program will be people who are sitting along, you know, shoulder to shoulder with you saying, how do we really think about the various generations that are coming to work? Would you say there are distinctions or you think they're the same? How, how do you think about that as a leader in terms of motivating them to serve customers well? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the demography, it's uh, certainly generations play a big point inside of that. Um, the experiences that people bring with them professionally, educationally, 
um, and certainly, you know, their, their race, their, their ethnicity, all the different things of their culture that brings them to it. And what I found though, Mark, is that if you can have a unifying purpose uh, that kind of transcends all of those different things and communicate that above all else and uh, really actually mean it, um, it, it brings everyone together. And our purpose, uh, what we do is connecting families for a better future. And so, yes, we're a grocery retailer. Yes, we're a grocery e-commerce organization, an omni-channel retailer, really. And yeah, that's what we do. But the purpose of that is connecting families for a better future. And for us, we just, uh, we're an optimistic company. We believe that the best is yet to come. And we think that the way to achieve that is actually um, at the family unit. Because you can't change the world unless you change countries. And you can't change countries unless you change communities. You can't change communities unless you change and strengthen families. And because we sell food and because we create meal experiences, um, around the table is where families get stronger. That's where values are shared. That's where ideas are debated. Uh, that's where fun is had. That's where problems are solved. That's where tears are shed. And anything that we can do to try and make that experience easier, more affordable, healthier, uh, more inclusive so that everybody can experience it, we all want to do that. And that resonates with the boomers that work here. That resonates with Gen X. That resonates with millennials. It resonates with those that are just now entering the workforce, maybe part-time uh, while they're in high school, because everybody has a sense of what family is. And by the way, it's very different for many people. And we welcome that. We celebrate that. But the notion of being together with people is universal. And that's really what we center all of our communication, our activities, our commercial strategy, really the whole of it anchors on that purpose. One would hope we'd all have a family and that we're, that we're fed well uh, in, in all the meanings of that term. And what I hear when you're talking about the variations of culture, that is a theme that still brings us all together. And you have the unique positioning as a company at Giant and in terms of your leadership role, where you are a part of a larger portfolio. So tell me a little bit about the interactions between being an American company that's owned by a European company and how that leadership ebb and flow, what, what could you teach us? What would you help us learn about that sort of operating dynamic? Because there's a portfolio of companies in North America and then around the world. No, that's exactly right. I mean, we are part of Ajo Belez USA, uh, which has five consumer facing brand companies and then three service companies uh, up and down the East coast. Uh, we were the, you know, the beast of the East, some might say. I mean, it's about 2,000 stores between all of, uh, of our operations. Uh, but even uh, above that is our, is our group. I mean, we're part of All Delays, uh, which is an international grocery group, one of the largest in the world, uh, spanning really, again, the East Coast of the United States, uh, Europe, uh, and Indonesia. And so all in 19 different like, brands that mean something to the different, the 11 countries that we're inside of. And what's really interesting about that is that you get to you know, learn. It's almost like a... I would define it as a, as a share network uh, where there are occasions where different you know, leaders of the brands get together and share things that are going on inside of their countries or inside of their markets. And, um, and there are universal things that we, we all try to um, find ways to tackle. And then there are unique things, which sometimes if it's in Europe might be a little bit ahead of what happens in the US. And so you can really leverage, um, I would say an international network uh, quite well to make your company exactly what uh, is needed for the community that you're serving. And I think my group at the giant company is an example of that. When we were going into Philadelphia three years ago, which, you know, giant had not gone into the city center 
we were in the counties of the DMA, but not in the center. We knew that we needed a different format to accomplish that. And if you looked, uh, you know, coast to coast in the U.S., there really wasn't a small urban format that worked, uh, you know, from the customer mindset, from the operational mindset or the financial mindset. Uh, but we didn't have to look too far just across the Atlantic Ocean into the Netherlands at Albert Hein, which is one of the oldest and most celebrated companies in the Netherlands and, uh, and a huge supermarket organization. And we were able to, to, to gather insight, to gather examples, to go see it for ourselves, to find out, you know, logistical things that we don't experience in our large, you know, 65,000 square foot stores. And then you bring that in and you apply the concept and you make it your own by bringing in you know, local purveyors and individuals who really know the community well, and it's a beautiful thing. And so that's what I love about being part of an international group. You get to learn from others. You get to share things. You have more access to information and insight uh, than you ever would be alone. There are so many case histories written about the belief as a North American-based company that our model is so amazing that it's portable everywhere. And I, you know, the, there's a lot of roadkill along the pathways of other major markets around the world, you've had the privilege in, in, with respect to coming from the other direction. And what, what can be learned, as you say, you were able to exchange kind of the best ideas. And yet, I guess so many, particularly in dealing with consumers, must vary significantly enough that really contribute materially to the, the growth rates and the contribution margins. Could you give us maybe one or two examples that might come to mind that would be like a big difference between the way people show up or the way people want service in Indonesia or somewhere in Europe versus North America where, where you are even in Philadelphia or versus the suburbs? Yeah, I mean, you can honestly just see it inside of the four state geography that we have. I mean, we are in some very rural communities. Uh, we're in some very wealthy suburbs. We're in, you know, a couple of you know, small urban centers and then we're in you know, the second largest city on the East Coast with Philadelphia, the largest in America. And it's, um, you, you see the differences inside of those. Multiply that, you know, by, by whatever factor you choose whenever you start to look at other countries. Because uh, if you think about it, like the Netherlands is the size of geographically the size of Rhode Island. If you really think about that. And yet they're this enormous organization and company. When I think of Albert Hein, there's other brands over there, Ethos, uh, Holland Hall, uh, Bull.com. So there's actually four companies uh, just in the Netherlands. And then if you look at the Benelux, you've got all kinds of different things. And so I, if I were to give you an example, it's um, uh, so our, the, the company called Deleuze in Belgium, uh, led by, um, by my colleague Xavier, uh, he has a, a commitment and his team has a commitment to healthier communities that the giant company also shares. It's important to both of us to, to provide healthier alternatives and make it simpler and more affordable and so we do share different ideas, but you know, the loyalty program that he has in delays does not necessarily translate into the loyalty program of the giant company. Ours is more based on fuel rewards. His is not, right? But you can still find something inside of that to bring healthy options as like a component of that, a reward factor for that. And then you have an idea that, that's kind of um, transportable. So you, you can't mm. ever just take something, in my opinion, anyway, and just drop it in. You always have to put it through the filter of what your customer wants um, before you actually apply that. And I've seen examples of those we compete with who try to take, and you mentioned this in the roadkill, like there are examples of organizations that have come from Europe, come to the US, try to go, and they're already gone. 
There's examples of some that, you know, are right here right now that are, you know, some would say struggling and you wonder what's going to happen long term. And the same is true, of course, it's not just Europe and America. If you look at really, you know, all the continents, you can have examples like that. Well, I, I would think that uh, having the, the proximity of countries and language and all the rest, it could be quite a head fake. And, and your lesson is, I think, a very primal and central primary concept around listening to the customer in deep enough ways to really know what's working locally and then try to get scale through the synergy and knowledge of, of uh, the experiences of others in other communities. You're an inspiring guy for many reasons. And one of the things that inspires me most is the fact that here you are a sitting leader of an organization running this company. And you also take time to serve that community and be connected. I imagine that you're one of the people who ends up being right there at the listening post in Philadelphia. Your work with the Chamber of Commerce, your, your work with other organizations. How would you coach other leaders like yourself and why would you suggest that they consider thinking about that local network in addition to one hell of a big day job that you've got going there? That's a lot to take on. Why do you do it and, and what does it mean and what would you share with others about that process? Honestly, Mark, I see it as all connected. Um, yeah, our company is uh, the second largest private employer for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which is a big state. Mm. And so we can't really sit on the sidelines when there are policy problems that, you know, inhibit growth or, or, or leave people out. Like that's not something we can do because that's with a, a million and three households that we serve each week, those are our customers, 35,000 teammates. Those are, and their families. I mean, think about how many people that is. And so I feel like, um, I'm actually, I feel like I'm convicted that we have a responsibility to make an impact. And, uh, and it's not just me. I mean, it's just, it's inside of the fabric of our organization. Um, I'm a big proponent of corporate social responsibility and having philanthropy, volunteerism and partnerships that accomplish you know, things that we can't accomplish on our own. I mean, connecting families for a better future won't happen unless we end hunger. And we can do a lot of things about that. We can stop wasting, we can you know, donate to food banks, but we can't do it all. It won't happen unless children's lives are changed, especially those who are sick. And so that's a really important platform for us. And I don't think it will happen unless we take actions to begin healing our planet. Uh, that's newer for the giant company, but we have a, a burning passion in that space, uh, really to reduce waste, also to reduce the use of, of our environment, uh, to, to help uh, dirt become soil again by farming in a regenerative way, which we just happen to sell you know, loads of fresh fruit and fresh produce. And so we, we have to do those things. It's not an option. And, you know, for me, I limit myself really to two kind of leadership organizations because this is my, well, this is my secondary. My primary is actually my family. This is my secondary responsibility. And, um, and so for me, it's, it's really the, the state chamber um, where I'm chairman of the board now. And, um, you know, and it's, we're about to go into an election cycle year and there's always, uh, you know, lots of interesting things going on politically. Harrisburg State Capitol is uh, adjacent to Carlisle, so it's, it's pretty easy for me to be involved in that. Um, and then the other one is the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I'm uh, co-chair of, uh, of the corporate council with Don Smolensky, who's president of the, the Philadelphia Eagles. And he and I just gather, you know, 150 other, you know, senior leaders inside of Philly uh, to be ambassadors for what's happening in CHOP, which is one of the very best children's hospitals in the entire world. 
uh, and doing groundbreaking research and, you know, making an impact on cancer, making an impact on, on new diseases that are just now really coming up. And so I, I get personal fulfillment out of those, but I also get the opportunity to help make my company better and help take the things that are good about our company and, and kind of push it out into those ways. And that same action happens with all of the leaders who are part of my team and actually down to uh, the director level in our company. All directors and above are actually required uh, to be on a nonprofit board inside of the communities to make a difference. There's nothing like being in a front row seat where you can make a contribution, make a difference, live the principles that you're talking about. And I love also how you're framing the fact that it ended up being a, a noble purpose. It's something that's rewarding. And it's also part of really creating what is a sustainable future for the company. And then that word sustainability, it's incredible to see how quickly we've seen an evolution from corporate social responsibility, which is critical, and the charities and the nonprofits that we serve, and extending that into the innovation cycle and the de-risking cycle about the future of our businesses. Innovation ends up being one of those things where sometimes constraints help, like being more environmental, like being better for the planet. This, this whole notion of ESG has been talked about for a while, but it now is a real component of making you a competitive differentiated company. Could you talk about your belief system around ESG and also being, I guess, also connected with Europe where there's been sometimes different senses of urgency because it's a small, concentrated, urbanized uh, place. Could you share with us what, what you want to coach other leaders about when it comes to the ESG processes as not a charity anymore, but being mission critical for the business? You know, it's, it's definitely much larger than that. I was um, talking with my friend, Manny Mar, who works at Bank of America in the commercial markets, and he just did a presentation recently on what ESG means um, really to the financial community, to investors, and, and how, how like top of mind that is now. Um, I think if I look back in time, it was once something that you know, noble companies do. Now I think it's something that all companies are required to do. And I feel kind of lucky because I'm part of a group of companies that have always had that at the forefront. We have um, incredibly strong and rich and transparent governance um, already in place, uh, which, which I'm very proud of. I mean, you can find out anything about, you know, the, the ultimate parent company, all the Liz, um, through, through our investor relations team and just all of the different stuff. We're participating in the, the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. We're, we're making public commitments. And, and that's awesome. Uh, when I think about the social angle of that, um, that covers a lot of different things. I mean, you look at insecurity, you look at um, you know, food insecurity, I mean, and all those different elements that we could talk about. Um, but the one that probably resonates with the, me the most personally is everything that we're doing uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you know, 2020, my goodness, uh, taught everyone so very much. And as if the pandemic weren't enough, you know, the murder of George Floyd, um, I think awakened the entire world uh, to things that, that many um, in the black community always knew and even said, but honestly, many of us did not hear. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of our company's response to that. Uh, just authentic listening uh, to teammates actually learning. I mean, almost a, a stand down to find out exactly what was going on, listening, and then not just listening, but then leading to change, uh, both in internally, the things that we're doing externally, the organizations that we're partnering with uh, to make a difference inside of our communities. 
um, just really enhancing the things that were already in motion uh, inside. So that's a really important component. And it's not just important because of those that you're trying to serve. It's also important for those that you're trying to attract. Uh, the war for talent requires organizations who, who not only you know, embrace diversity and create equity and you know, kind of demand inclusion, like those things must take place to get the workforce to do the, you know, the work that we need today. And so that matters. And then the E, the environmental part, um, man, I've learned a ton about this and I have uh, quite a bit of energy inside of it right now. Uh, we recently uh, became a partner with the Rodell Institute, which is also a Pennsylvania institution. And they are the originators of organic farming. They literally have the longest research product project mm. in motion still to prove that organic farming is better for crop yield, is better for the environment, is better for animals, and ultimately is better for the health of humans than traditional or you know, mass farming. And, um, and the USDA and several other organizations have done this. There's only two of these in the world. The other one is in, I believe, Norway. And so we have, we've gone all in with them philanthropically as partners and everything else. And I've learned so much from, from their leader, Jeff, and his entire team. It's extraordinary, like just how much there still is to learn inside of that. And that's important. And plastic reduction and product reformulation, like all of these things matter. Um, the office I'm in right now is powered now by solar panels. We have a solar field that we installed. And rather than concrete around it, we put a pollinator habitat around it so that, you know, honeybees and butterflies can actually feed because we're in the middle of farm country and you know we need more pollinators the dioff rate in our community is like 90 per, it's, it's just bad it's a bad dioff rate these are all things that i'm learning but it's also things that our team is learning and that we're not just learning we're actually doing something about them and um, to me that's what esg is it can't just be here's my policy i'm going to put it up on the web page i'm going to put a few stats you got to get your hands dirty you got to go where things actually matter in your community and you have to be transparent about the things that aren't good enough yet that you're still working against. I think that's a wonderfully insightful way of thinking about it being part of the integrated plan for the company that enables you to do everything from attract talent and retain it better, give us a greater sense of purpose to the workforce, be a, a preferred employer. I've experienced your stores. I've never seen a place that's frankly more attractive that was reflecting more pride from the values you just described than, than I've ever been in, in any other grocery store. It was really uh, a remarkable experience that way. It took me by surprise, you know, at this point in my life, I've been in a lot of stores and uh, it, it, I could feel that difference that you're trying to make. The way you talk feels to me like a guy who's been around for a lot more decades. And what would you wish you knew if you were talking to a younger version of yourself uh, about how to lead and how to grow? Because you've rocketed up, rocketed up through the organization. What do you wish you knew? Uh, and uh, how would you coach that, that younger version of yourself? Mm, what a cool question. Um, what I wish I knew that I didn't at the time was that curiosity is actually a strength. Um, earlier in my career, I viewed it as a weakness because, you know, I had advanced, you know, rather fast for my age. Right. And you get in these situations where you're a decade or two decades younger than your peers. You don't want to appear like you don't have all the answers or, you know, that you can't keep up. 
And, um, you know, as confidence kind of grows, as, as I've gotten older and matured, um, I found that that same curiosity still exists. There's so much about this company I don't know. There's so much about the consumer I don't know. So much about the industry I don't know. And that curiosity actually, um, it's not a weakness. It's actually something that, that brings out the, the authentic version of myself so that I can kind of lead without any kind of inhibition. And it also, um, I've, I've learned from my team, kind of enables them to also admit when they don't know something. And they want to know more about it. And they want to question things um, kind of in a really, um, in, a, in a pure way, not in a, you know, taking somebody to trial because there's a negative side to curiosity as well, where you're not really curious, you're just probing for probing's sake. Uh, <laughs> but, but genuine curiosity, I think, is a strength. And I wish I had embraced that much earlier than I did. Well, that growth mindset that you exhibit and that I've learned from the man that I've been working with for this last greater than a year is I think such a superpower because it also makes the rest of the team, it's, it's what's given you such quick scale because you can't advance unless there's competent deep bench and players sitting on that bench ready to move and, and already getting the stuff done that feel empowered, that feel willing to take the risks to innovate and be curious. So here's to um, a toast to, to staying as Steve Jobs would say, you know, stay foolish, stay curious, uh, stay hungry. Uh, I feel all those things from you, Nick. So thank you so much for joining us for this edition of our program. And I, and I look forward to, to learning about the next adventure that you're just about to lead, because there's always a new one uh, for high achievers like yourself uh, that you're about to embark again on. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.